0: Us um, Help us remember the past, you know, those annual traditions, those things that come up the year that, that kind of start to trigger some memories and stuff. And I was just thinking, particularly as, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, which I've entitled Thanksgiving and Repentance, um, about uh, a, a, rem- a really memorable Thanksgiving for me. Uh, it was probably actually my worst Thanksgiving. Uh, and that was the Thanksgiving in 2001. Uh, shortly after 9-11 took place. I actually was in the band with Missouri State, and we actually uh, were in New York City just a couple months after uh, after the towers fell and all that took place. And I just remember that being such a surreal, strange time to be alive and such a, such an odd experience to have. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it seemed like suddenly, overnight, at the day after 9-11, on September 12th, everyone became a very patriotic Christian. It was very odd. Just everywhere, it was God bless America, God bless America. We played God bless America and, and as we marched down the streets of, of New York City. And, and there was this sort of sense of the nation was crying out for God's help, which I actually, as a Christian believer, found both oddly comforting and oddly disturbing. Uh, at the same time, there was something about it that seemed a bit insincere, uh, and I found that part disturbing. But I also noticed that there was sort of like this mixture of a real, honest, like recognition of our vulnerability as human beings and a crying out for God's help. And uh, and so it was just a very, very emotionally intense, uh, powerful experience to be marching down. You know, the street, I don't even know what streets the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is on in, in New York City, but we, we were marching down the street, and there was just this spirit of kind of national pride um, and, and sort of solemnity when we played these patriotic songs. songs uh, it was almost religious, uh, in, in a sense. And I both found that to be a bit inspiring, but also kind of, I don't know, disturbing. There was something about that that bugged me, uh, even while it was going on. And I think that as I've grown older and as I've learned more about kind of this myth of thanksgiving uh, and, and sort of some of our national history, some of the darker parts of our national history, it's been easier for me to articulate what it is that bugs me about this blending of national pride and uh, apparent devotion to God um, that is just, I think, part of the, the American holiday of thanksgiving. A, a holiday that is never mentioned in Scripture, that doesn't appear in any prayer book, um, you know. There's no, there's no Anglican service for Thanksgiving. There's no uh, mention of it in in, uh, in in any country outside of the United States. It's a uniquely American holiday, and yet it kind of has these hints of Christianity in it. You know, we're supposed to be thankful to God, um, and I. I think that it's important for us to just kind of parse out and straighten out how we, as people who live in this country, can observe an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness in a way that's pure and pleasing to God. And so I just want to kind of tease that out. And I felt like the Lord was leading me as I was preparing this sermon uh, to look at this story of King Josiah in Second Kings 22. Uh, where they, where he rediscovers the law and helps Israel recommit um, themselves to the Lord. And so, um, just before we even open up the scriptures, would you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that somehow the words that I'm about to speak will encourage us. Lord, I pray that um, where there is error, that you will make truth shine. And that, God, that we could come to you with with grateful hearts, with hearts that return to you, that take time out of our schedule to say thank you, God, for the good things that you have done, even as we turn from the things that you don't want us to do. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just start at the beginning of chapter 22 of Second Kings. Now, Josiah was eight years old. Now, I have a nine-year-old Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedida, Jedida? I don't know, I think it's probably Jedida, daughter of Adiah, and she was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And I think it's notable that uh, that, that Josiah's mother is, is mentioned here, not because uh, other kings don't get their mothers mentioned. You know, it, there's a, a very clear succession of kings. You know who the father is. It's the king previous, but the mothers often get mentioned. Um, but especially because Josiah took the throne when he was eight years old, I think some credit belongs to his mom, uh, in this story for the way that he continued to reign, and and the fact that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David. That would be like his great-great-grandfather David, not his literal father David. Um, not turning aside to the right or left. Uh, I believe that some credit does need to go to his mom in this story, and I feel like this just sort of hit me in the head as I was preparing just kind of like finalizing notes this morning, uh, that I feel like it's important as we go into the holidays and as we uh, go into a time where we're we're spending time with our extended family and we're connecting uh, as families to just really remember the calling that parenthood is. That all of us are formed deeply by the experiences that we have in our childhood. That. If you will, so many of us, the things that we struggle with are things that began in our childhood and things that our strengths that were given to us were given to us in our childhood. Those formative years, those early years in our lives matter so much. And so those of us who have this calling uh, to raise children in the spirit and the correction of the Lord, those of us that have dedicated our children to the Lord that are trying to raise young Christians— I think it's just important to remember that that is a calling from God that is intensely important. And we don't really know the impact our children will have on the world, uh, and so we want their character to be formed by a consistent, loving environment that, um, that honors God. And that really, whatever junk we bring to our kids, and we all have it, we need to remember that we'll be passing that down too. And so there's an invitation, I think, from God as we spend more time together as a family to really make that time about him, to make that time honoring to God and to live lives as parents that honor the Lord and that we pass that value on to our children with as little baggage as possible. That's just kind of an aside. Let's continue with the story. In the 18th year of his reign, that's King Josiah, uh, he sent his secretary, Shaphan, son of Azalea, to the, s- the son of Meshallam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. The temple had been in disrepair because the previous kings... Before Josiah had neglected worship of the Lord, uh, and they had actually desecrated the temple of the Lord with the worship of other gods, Um, but they uh, and Josiah continues. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, "I have found." um, uh, Yeah, in verse eight. Sorry, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, "I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord." He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. Uh, Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, And Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it, read from it, in the presence of the king. Now, what's going on here is that because the previous kings uh, before Josiah had done such a bad job of helping people uh, continue to stay faithful to the covenant of the law, that is, you know, the five books of Moses, particularly uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, um, maybe some of the other writings may have been included in this book of the law, but really keeping the covenant that God made with Israel that was supposed to ensure that Israel would remain in right relationship with God and be a shining light to the other nations of the earth so that humanity could could see that there is a God, that there is a purpose to life, and so that there there's a way for humanity to be reconciled to God and to come to understand the Lord for who he is with, with this promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants uh, being walked out and worked out in the history of Israel. And we... We know that um, God brought the people of Israel out of out through the Exodus and allowed them to establish themselves in the Promised Land uh, and made this covenant and said, if you follow these words of the law, then I will be with you. I will bless you. I will be your God, and uh, and all nations will be blessed through uh, through the work that you do and through the the kind of nation that you are. Uh, and if you don't, then. You will experience everything that has happened to the nations that came before you. All the exile, all the death, all the destruction uh, will be my judgment on you. And so, there's this rediscovery of the word of God. There's this rediscovery of the covenant. There's this rediscovery of this picture of God's kingdom on earth, revealed in the book of Moses and in the laws of of Moses, or the book of the law, and when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. It's a sign of mourning. That's a sign of great grief, of, of great despair. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written here concerning us. And I think there's a sense in which when we begin to really understand our own nation's history, when we begin to really understand the American church's history, there's a sense in which we might have a similar reaction. The thing that's, that makes Thanksgiving tricky for American Christians, if they're Christians first, is that oftentimes American Christianity has been compromised by nationalism and racism. And so while I enjoy eating turkey and watching football uh, and taking naps and maybe even shopping the day after, and participating in many traditions that are kind of typically American, um, you know, many native people or people who have native ancestors who were native to the Americas before European influence, Thanksgiving is a reminder of all the treaties that were broken between white Americans and the native people who lived here. Thanksgiving is a reminder of the abuse and the neglect and the systematic persecution of native people who lived in the Americas before white settlers from Europe came over. And what makes it particularly troubling and difficult, as we are believers in Jesus, is that Christianity, or something called Christianity, was used as a justification for this violence and abuse. And that is the truth that is difficult to fathom, It's ugly, and when we start to understand it, when we start to learn it, I hope that we realize that it's not wrong to grieve. That it's not wrong, in fact, it's appropriate for this to shake us a little bit, for it to disturb our hearts, for it to be something that we don't want to celebrate or participate in. It would be wrong to celebrate Nationalism or racism; those are things that the kingdom of God opposes. And unfortunately, so much of what gets talked about and celebrated and talked and and perpetuated uh, in the holiday of Thanksgiving is this blend of so-called Christianity uh, and this American racist nationalism, and that's disturbing. And so I just think it's very important for us as believers in Christ when we observe whatever traditions we observe, when we are with our families, when we pass on traditions to our own children, that we're clear about what we are celebrating and what we are not celebrating. That we are very clear on who it is that we worship and who it is that we trust for our salvation and ultimate authority and who we Trust to judge the nations of this earth. American Christianity has often been compromised, and I don't want our church to participate in that compromise. The text goes on that Hilkiah the priest, <laughs> Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Uzziah uh, went to speak with, to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom the son of Tikvah, the son of Harshash, keeper of the wardrobe. I'm sure I'm just butchering all these names. Right. she lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book of the king of, the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace." Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. A couple things about this part of the passage. One, uh, you know, some of the best prophets and leaders are women. I know there is kind of a discussion happening in the wider American church right now about the place of women's leadership in the church. And uh, I just, I think it's really important for us to have total clarity on this. Women are human beings. They're full human beings. And 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 positions of leadership in the church are based on calling and gifting, rather than gender. Uh, We're a church that fully affirms women in leadership, and that women can do anything God has called them to do. And I think that it's often been the case in the history of the church, and even in the history of Israel, that there are times when women were the only faithful ones left. You know, it was women who were with Jesus on the cross willing to be seen with him and mourn for him while this injustice was happening to him. Uh, it's, it's women who went to the tomb and discovered the resurrected Lord first. It has often been women who have had the courage to stand up and lead when no one else will, and that's been true throughout ch- his church history, and it's very true in this story. I think Holda, if you will, is a rather hidden figure in the scriptures, a person that we don't talk about enough in terms of her faithfulness and her bravery to tell truth to power and to say, you know, even under all this, you know, all these powerful men walk into her home, wherever she's living, whatever she's doing, and say, hey, you know, what do you think God says about this? And she doesn't pull any punches, right? She says, look, you guys, you know, the the nation has passed a point of no return. God's judgment is coming, and that's not what kings want to hear, right? Kings want to hear, oh, it's going to be okay, you're going to be fine, your, your kingdom will be established forever. But there's no people-pleasing at all. And she even refers, you know, go tell the man who sent you to me, the mere mortal, the king of Israel, but the mere mortal who sent you to me, go tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. And she fearlessly and faithfully tells the truth. I think it's a rather arresting example of a person who believes God wholeheartedly. There's no discussion of her qualifications with regard to her gender in this story. She's faithful, she's brave, she tells the truth. She's a prophet of God. The other thing about this statement that I think is important for us to remember, especially as we get ready to visit family and all kinds of different political views and all kinds of different um, experiences of life and perspectives on things, is that Christians are supposed to be people of the truth, and truth can be difficult. Truth often is not easy. Truth is often, uh, it doesn't bend to our will. It doesn't bend to our desires. The colloquialism, it is what it is, 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 uh, is applicable here, right? That oftentimes, truth is just hard. And that's part of being a believer in Jesus, is believing the truth, even when the truth is ugly, even when the truth is disturbing, even when the truth uh, feels like a personal attack. And I think it's important for us to have humility, To understand that there might be things that we don't know, that our perspectives aren't perfect. We know in part, we see in part, all those good things. It's good to be humble, it's good to be open to criticism. It's those are important things. I think truth himself uh, encourages us to listen to others and to hear perspectives that are not our own, to be challenged uh, and to be willing to be wrong, to be willing to say, you know what? it wasn't right for me to say that, or I am being too harsh, or I am being too judgmental. I'm not God. I don't know everything. At the same time, I think it's important for us to have enough grit as believers in Jesus to stand for what's really true and to just know that the truth is always our friend. Deception is what causes division and strife and pain. The truth is what sets us free, even if it's difficult even if it doesn't bend to our will or our desires, the truth is what it is. The story continues in chapter 23, and I won't read all of chapter 23, but basically, Josiah's response to this is to understand uh, his place as the king of Israel and to make the best of a bad situation and lead the people back to God, to to institute reforms, to, to get rid of the idols, to 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 help the people come back to celebrating the true God who has revealed himself in history. And so the king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. And then neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of the King Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists and household gods, the idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. And I think that this this discipline, this, this desire to celebrate and this command to celebrate and to remember the good things that God has done this is something that we can really embrace even on a, in, a, in a kind of cloudy and convoluted American holiday like Thanksgiving. There is a kernel here that's really good. There is part of this holiday that encourages us to remember to give thanks for the abundance and the blessings that we have that is good. And I believe that Christian believers can and should always, everywhere, all the time, give thanks to God. You know, Part of, the, uh, part of the Eucharistic prayers and, and more liturgical traditions are, it, it, there's this kind of call and response thing where it says, you know, uh, the Lord be with you, and the people say, and also with you. And then the, the, the person celebrating communion says, you know, lift up your hearts to the Lord. It says, lift up your hearts. And the people say, we lift our hearts to the Lord. And then the priest says, it's, it is good and right, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. For you created the heavens and the earth and for all you've done, and it goes on and I've forgotten the rest, but just always and everywhere, it is right and good to give thanks to God because God is worthy. God is a God who liberates people in slavery and pulls them out of oppression. God is a God who brings down unjust empires and lifts up the lowly and weak. God is a God who brings justice to the oppressed, freedom to the prisoner, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, community to the leper, and all those good things. Life to the dead, even at the end of time. And the story of Passover is, is that story. It's the story of God redeeming his people from slavery and from the, the wicked powers of that present evil age. It's a story to remember, It's a story that we remember in Christ, our Passover, when we take communion. That when Jesus instituted this meal, he was hearkening back to the story of liberation, to the story of God drawing his people out of slavery to sin and darkness and leading them into freedom and light. And when we eat a meal together as believers in Jesus, whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, And celebrate that. That's a great thing to celebrate on Thanksgiving. That's a great tradition to um, embrace as as families, uh, as people who love the Lord. We can always celebrate the goodness of God. Um, As Christians, as Christians, we can celebrate that God is good. That creation is good. That there are good things in the world, that the the abundance that we're able to enjoy uh, is a gift, and to be grateful for the things that we have. Goodness gracious, my my, sorry about that. The technology that we have is such a gift from God. To not take it for granted. Is that it? Okay. I need to stand still. That's what my microphone is telling me. That the goodness of God is a thing that we can always celebrate. I'm just going to turn this off. Sorry. Back to this thing. Okay, so we can always celebrate the goodness that we receive, the goodness of creation, the goodness and abundance of blessings that we enjoy. Those are good things to be grateful for. And Honestly, it is so healthy and right and good and will actually change our perspective on life. We'll be healthier people if we practice that gratitude. There's actually a growing body of scientific research that is being done on gratitude uh, that is actually being able to demonstrate uh, people who have a regular practice of gratitude are able to uh, reverse depression, that, like, it it actually can be as powerful or more powerful than, like... uh, psychopathic drugs or what, whatever you call those things like it, it like <laughs> I I just made up words I'm just I should I should have prepped better for that uh you know that 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 in fact that the practice and the regular um habit of of remembering the things that have been given to you the good things in your life re- remembering those things bringing them before God in prayer uh, and and practicing an attitude of gratitude actually rewires neural pathways in your brain and makes you a healthier person. Gratitude is such a good thing, and thanking God for His goodness to us, whatever, wherever that comes from, that is such a good thing to do, and such a great thing to celebrate and observe on Thanksgiving. What a wonderful thing! Another thing that I think we can always be grateful for is just the grace of God, right? that even as we reckon with the sins of our nation and the sins of the people who have come before us and the truth about um, uh, what has happened in America, uh, that we can still find comfort in the grace of God, that we can still find comfort in the forgiveness of Jesus, that when we f- when we reckon with our own sin, when we reckon with our own messed-up attitudes, with our own uh, fear of the truth, with our own... Um, you know, maybe even racism, prejudice, those things that we find in our hearts. As we confess those things to Jesus, He is able to forgive us and we can receive grace. We can come to God and be changed as we recognize the value of His sacrifice for us and what He has done for us in the cross. When we recognize and celebrate the grace of God, we're on solid ground theologically, we're in line with the truth and we get to experience great love from God. The grace of God is something that we can always be grateful for, and it's something to celebrate and throw a party about, and that's something that we can always embrace and always celebrate. And finally, as we pray and seek the Lord, as we turn to God in gratefulness for his goodness to us, as we turn to God in gratefulness for his grace, we can continue to yearn for the justice of God. We can continue to pray and ask for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth, in America, in Springfield, uh, as it is in heaven. That these things are not opposed to each other. That being grateful to God and yearning for more justice, more peace, more shalom, more general well-being in our communities and in our families, wanting more of the goodness and the grace of God, is these things are not opposed They are the same thing. That really when we turn to God in gratitude and live a life, hopefully, of gratitude out of what he's done for us, the the result is that we want more and we want to share that with others. We want to work for those things and bring the kingdom in our workplaces and to our families at home. As we seek the Lord in gratitude, I hope that we will also Yearn for the justice of God. So with all that, um, would you stand? So now is the time that we'll take to pray for one another. Um, and uh, I just got the sense, even as, uh, as I was preaching, that maybe some of us are thinking about time together with family And we're a little bit nervous about conversations that might happen, and maybe this sermon didn't help you be less nervous uh, about that experience. And so I just want to say that the grace of God is here, the forgiveness of God is here, and he wants to give those things to us in abundance so that we have them to share. Uh, And so if you feel like, man, I could really use some prayer about a certain relationship in my life or just extending the grace I've received to other people, um, boy, I feel like God just really wants to give grace to us in abundance both for ourselves and for others. Um, Also, uh, I would just say maybe if you are a woman and you are struggling with any kind of an identity thing about how God sees you, Uh, And it could be related to, like, I don't know, like, leadership or something. But maybe it's just, like, the world and our culture is really awful to women, uh, just generally. And so, like, if you want prayer, I feel like God wants to affirm you and build you up uh, as his daughter. Uh, And so, if either of those things connect, or if you literally want prayer for, like, any other reason, come forward, get prayer, uh, and we'll pray for you, and God will do really good stuff. Let's pray.